every night of all teams. Went out and played like swaggering dandies as the Hamlet do. An absolute humdinger from about 25 yards. Get it. Swaggering dandies. An absolute humdinger. Swaggering dandies. Rolled off to Di Matteo. Hughes making an angled run ahead of him and opened up some space to and a goal! Oh, fantastic start! Roberto Di Matteo! Four added minutes and Gerard! Stunning! Still Giggs goes, he's through, he scored! Ryan Giggs! He's at the goal that's won it for Manchester United! Fortuitous there, Queen's Park Rangers, what can Maddox do with it? He's delivered deep towards Sinclair. What a goal! Trevor Sinclair! 3-1 to QPR. And that is a goal that you will see time and time again. The perfect overhead kick. An absolutely sublime finish from Trevor Sinclair. Roberto Di Matteo's opening minute screamer against Borough at Wembley. Gerrard's extra time half volley past David James. Giggs' slalom and roof of the net finish past David Seaman. Trevor Sinclair's overhead kick against Barnsley. And are we, listener, dear listener, just days away from adding Danny Mills's towering header in the 90th minute at home to Carlisle United for Dulwich Hamlet? Hugo, what do you reckon? I mean, you've got to dare the dream, haven't you? We've got this far. It's a momentous game for the club. And... Why not? Let's be confident. Uh, we're bringing them here to Champion Hill under the floodlights, live on the BBC, as we know. And yeah, uh, as we're going to learn over the course of this episode, it, it you know the stars may align for us. We are, as always, sat in the uh, mega container uh, at the car wash end of Champion Hill. Already around the grounds, BBC's presence is being felt. Gantries are being built. Um, preparations are occurring inside and outside here. There's a, a marquee at one end of the ground, which I believe is being set up for beer drinkers to drink their beer without being in full view of the pitch, of course, for FA regulations, and also to keep Dan Walker dry, I'm told. <laughs> yeah, God forbid that he might get a little bit wet on a, on a autumnal evening. We are we are properly in autumn now, aren't we? There was um, there was quite a nice sort of vibe to, uh, to their game on Saturday against Bath, even if the result wasn't ideal, just... Some some autumn leaves settling on the pitch, seeing your breath in the air. Um, you you brought a little hot beverage with you tonight. I see. Is is a bit chilly in the in the mega container tonight, listeners. What have you got there, Ben? It's just a little drop of echinacea and uh, red berry tea. Well, that sounds lovely. Yeah, it's keeping nice and warm, actually. Good. Um, I might actually put on my coat to be honest. I'm I am a little bit chilly, but um, yeah. So here we are, the FA Cup first round, Dulwich Hamlet versus Carlisle United. Is this a fixture you ever thought would happen? I don't think there is even a, a head-to-head that exists. I think this is the very first meeting of the two teams, uh, as far as I can tell from extensive research online. Uh, yeah, I, as we'll hear later from uh, a couple of Dulwich Hamlet fans, it's not the draw that everyone wanted. I wanted Ipswich away. Some wanted Portsmouth away. I think... Everyone really would have wanted one of the ex-Premier League teams away from home. Um, or at the very least, the team in the high division away from home. But 
giving it some thought since the draw has been made. You then think welcoming a league side to Champion Hill. Uh, now it's going to be televised live on the BBC. Uh, a team that are struggling in their league, again, as we'll go on to discuss, uh, with the possibility, maybe a, a slightly bigger possibility than we would have expected of getting through. I'm, I'm beside myself. I'm so excited. Same, actually. I think I... Because we all went to watch it in the in the clubhouse, watch the draw or live on the Beeb, and uh, I think you know that I've never heard the phrase "Sunderland away" said so much in uh, in the space of a few days. But I think just seeing that come out of the hat, literally right before us, I think it was Sunderland Gillingham comes comes out, and then we're drawn at home against Carlisle, not a team that you perhaps think of first when you think of these sort of glamorous ties. So I think, yeah, there was a bit of measured disappointment in the room, uh, certainly amongst our, our smaller group, that this this was maybe not the, the tie we'd, we'd dreamt of. But then when we, you know, we, we went off, we, we were t- together late that evening, weren't we? And uh, so we started to see, like, all these tweets come through uh, from Carlisle fans, <laughs> Dulwich fans as well. <laughs> One tweet that uh, sticks out in particular, actually, which has come... Almost an overnight meme, I would say. Uh, which is anyone else googling where the chuff Dalit Chamlet is uh, from a from a Carlisle fan? And I know I thought this sort of brilliantly encapsulates like the fact that we still aren't really that well known beyond like metropolitan London. Yeah. And while yes, in some ways, like the name of the club has grown significantly over the last few years, and that people in Cities and towns far and wide globally do know who Dulwich Hamlet are. There is also a lot of people who don't have a clue. And here we are, drawn against a team that mile for mile couldn't be much further away. They must be... Are they the northernmost league club? I think so. It's a 650-mile round trip. Well, I don't envy them that. Although, if we uh, (laughs) land ourselves a replay, we may be looking on the end of that ourselves. But, yeah, anyway, I I think just... The aftermath really helped to sort of ingrain the excitement in me and especially over the last sort of week or so, the excitement has really been building. The announcement that it was going to be televised is huge, it's surreal, it's totally new ground for everyone involved in the club and uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, this is something something to be celebrated. It's a celebration of how far we've come and, um, and uh, you know, about putting the club's values on on display to the whole world. I totally agree and I'm just as excited and I saw a couple of tweets as well after the draw was made because uh, obviously Chichester got the bye to the second round so the lowest ranked team left in the competition got the bye to the second round because of the sad demise of Berry. Um and uh, there were some Carlisle fans on Twitter that made me laugh uh, when they responded to news of Chichester getting the bye replied, replied to it saying yeah, don't worry, so did Dulwich Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. It was, it did become clear very immediately just how much sort of pessimism or kind of almost self-deprecation there is around the Carlisle fan base at the moment. I think from what I gather, and I think you can enlighten us a little bit more later on, he's not necessarily an unpopular figure. They don't dislike the man, but Stephen Presley just hasn't really got them ticking there and they find themselves near the bottom of the table uh, in very poor form. Um, which <laughs> uh, we'll get onto from from our own point of view soon too. But uh, yeah, I think uh, yeah, it was just quite funny to see some of the uh, some of the more self-deprecating tweets as well come through. 
Yeah, as you said, we'll get onto that a bit later. Um, we're going to kick things off with a quick rundown of the team's FA Cup history to this point. Uh, previous to this, Dulwich Hamlet's best FA Cup run was also the first round. Uh, that is at the stage that they've reached 15 times, which is a record number for a club yet to appear in the second round. Um, this is the first time we're hosting a league club in the FA Cup in 82 years, which is a competition record. The last time is when we hosted Aldershot in 1937-1938. Wow. Um, 82 years ago. Yeah. Carlisle's best performance in the competition was a quarter-final appearance in 1974-75. They lost 1-0 at home to Fulham. Fulham club legend Les Barrett got the winner. Uh, And Fulham went on to lose 2-0 to West Ham in the final. Um, Unfortunately, the game comes at a particularly difficult period for Dulwich in terms of their recent form. Uh, There's a tweet earlier from Dulwich fan... Uh, his handle on Twitter, I believe, is Bug Powder Dust. Unfortunately, I don't get any signal in this mega container, so I can't refresh my memory of the exact stats. But it was a comparison of the Hamlet's recent FA Cup form compared to the league form. An FA Cup form uh, won all games, scored about 16 goals, maybe conceded three. And the league form, we haven't won in, I think, nine or ten. Um, so I've, I've got it here, Steve. Dulwich in the league since September 1st, played 7, won 0, drawn 3, lost 4, scored 9, conceded 14. In the cup, played 4, won 4, scored 16, conceded 3. So that includes our London Senior Cup game against Croydon as well. But yeah, uh, 100% record in the cups with only 3 conceded. I mean, hashtag up for the cup as he I think is stuck on the end of that tweet yeah, yeah. couldn't put it any more averaging, averaging four goals a game um, so yeah there you go yeah I mean we beat Bognor 6-1 in the second qualifying round then we won at Eastbourne Borough 3-0 in the third qualifying round and then the big result really uh, in terms of significance uh, and performance was uh, winning 2-1 at you have to say league favourites haven't and Waterlooville uh, in the fourth qualifying round to get us to this point. Um, and Haven't and Waterlooville have got quite a... Uh, not iconic, but qu- there's quite a romantic uh, feeling around them for maybe football fans of our generation. Yeah, I think so. For me, this was a really uh, t- timely and kind of special game just because, yeah, like you say, in my sort of football adolescence, I think the, the Haven't and Waterlooville uh, FA Cup run of uh, 2007, I think it was, 2007, 2008 kind of time, uh, came a really like important point. I was really, really getting into football uh, sort of in my teens back then and seeing their their run uh, through the qualifying rounds, through the first and second and third round, I believe. I think it was a fourth round tie they played at Anfield. Maybe even a fifth. I, this is... Should probably have checked all this before I waffle on about how brilliant it was. But in in any case, they they battled their way to a to a FA Cup uh, game at Anfield against Liverpool, and they took the lead twice. They went one 0 up, one one two one. Alfie Potter, who was the the 
poster boy of that of that team. He was on loan from Oxford at the time. He was just like a scruffy haired winger, wasn't he? Yeah, like yeah. shaggy blonde hair. Yeah, and he scored a deflected sort of tapping at Anfield, and it, I don't know it was just amazing. It gives you goosebumps just thinking about what it must be like to play in a game like that, let alone score and take the lead in a game like that. It's what FA Cup's all about. It it's really a cliche, is. but yeah, you don't get that in any other competition. Yeah, exactly. And and for that reason, like the the name, the club name of having at Waterloo would just always ring out and hold a legacy. Um, and it, it it's games like that which really put clubs on the map. Um, I think as well there's just something really special about the fact that through this competition like really any registered club in the land who enters the competition can end up playing any other club in the land and from this point on you know geography goes out the window you can you can be playing you can be playing anywhere up and down the country playing 650 miles away well exactly and and like you say like this is a fixture that's never even taken place before as far as we can work out so you know, it's 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 creating new history that you know is only possible in this competition, and um, it's really really exciting that we're we're a part of that. Just sort of going back to the Haven't game itself, um, it was a really uh, it was a really solid, impressive performance. Um, we took the lead quite early on through Christian Smith, um, almost too early. I was a little bit worried that we still had a lot of the game to play. Um, but not long after, uh, Aaron Barnes scored an absolute screamer. I don't know if you've seen the the goal on on the highlights afterwards, but definitely recommend checking that out if you haven't. Um, because yeah, it was a a brilliant way to score your first goal for the club. Proper long range thronker or something like that. Um, like a Benjamin Pavard. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. The I, you know, I have been pining for Ryan Case to uh, deliver one of those, but um, we may not see that anytime soon. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, we did, we did concede, um, but we held on, we, we really kind of dug in and ground out the result and towards the end, we probably, you know, by rights, we probably should have won three, one really, um, we finished two, one, um, the, the boys just fought really hard. They fought for each other. And I think it was, it was, it was a sign of what this team is capable of. Um, the performance, uh, everyone Everyone played their position really well. We, we were playing like a sort of a three-five-two, um, which is the formation that we've kind of opted for recently with uh, Connors and Barnes as the sort of wing backs. Three-five-two, in possession. Five-three-two, out of possession. Fluid. Fluid, yeah, very fluid. Adaptable. And, yeah, uh, and it 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 just kind of illustrated that you know we do have a lot of really talented players in this team and that when they're all on the same page working for each other we can play some really nice stuff and uh, I thought we were really really good that day probably one of the, the best I've seen us play this season but also I thought we played well against Weymouth which was the fixture before in the league that finished 2-2 Weymouth also a very good side who are also going to be up there challenging for playoffs and promotion this season like haven't but uh, yeah it was um, you know a, a patch of 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 fixtures to me that said you know can we play Dulwich yes we can so definitely a season high that game at, at Haven't mm. uh, unfortunately it is a season high and since then it has been quite slowly downhill well quite rapidly downhill I meant to say we've not won in the league since August uh, which is a win at Eastbourne who were in disarray that was nine games ago We've drawn four, we've lost five, and we've conceded at least two goals in five of our last six games. Uh, I don't want to spend much more 
time on this. I'd rather we kind of talk about Carlisle and look ahead to the game. But what do you think has gone wrong? I mean, four places and three points above the relegation zone, eight points off the playoffs, which was really a target at the beginning of the season. I think might have even been stated by one of the club officials at some point. But if you could put your finger on one thing quickly, what do you think it is? Uh, I think it was always going to take a little bit of time to find a system that worked right with the players that we brought in. Um, you know, we as we've discussed in the past, it's a totally new squad this year and we're really only looking at a couple of players who aren't even starting every game who were at the club last year. And to kind of integrate all those new bodies, find something that worked was going to take time. Maybe it's this 3-5-2 that we've been playing in the last few games and it has worked at times but it's clearly not watertight because we are still conceding goals and I think you know not to point the blame at the defence because the defence are only as good as the midfielders in front of them but something is not obviously not right in the kind of defensive side of our play we're not, we're not struggling to score goals and they're, they're coming from kind of an array of players which is good but yeah I think unfortunately David Ajaya and Richard Orlu who were two kind of experienced heads uh, that were brought in this year they haven't been playing week in week out I think they've both been injured they're kind of coming back to fitness so I think yeah you know there you're looking at kind of defensive sort of spine which has been taken away from us a little bit um what are your thoughts on the on the recent form? Uh, I just uh, I think it's just teething problems with so many new signings. Uh, it was never going to work first season. Uh, I th- I think that aiming for the playoffs was, um, you know, that would be a perfect scenario if everything clicked straight away and then we strengthened again later on in the season as you tend to do at this level. Uh, I yeah I am not surprised that it, you know it's going to be an up and down season. We're going to go on runs of very bad form and very good form I think um, and it's all about finding a system in which these players work and and finding out which players fit the context of the club and which don't I think it's just a season of fine tuning with this new setup that we have of training and approach to um, management of the players uh, so yeah I, I can't say I'm surprised um, but it sounds like Friday could be quite a, a high scoring game you mentioned that we've no problem scoring goals We've no problem conceding goals, but Adi Youssef uh, looks particularly strong at the moment. Danny Mills is always a threat, and Dippo came back at the weekend and looked very sharp. So, you know, fingers crossed, we'll uh, we'll be able to cause Carlisle some problems, um, which uh, yeah, kind of rounds it off nicely, really. And uh, next, Carlisle. It will be remiss of me not to mention your status. London's most hipster club. Are you saying are you saying that to me while I walk by an artisanal cheese shop? It's a really great cheese shop. So, 17th in League 2, third worst goal difference in the league, the joint leakiest defence conceding 29 goals in 17 games. The only team in worst form in League 2 are 22nd placed Warsaw, who have lost six games on the bounce. Uh, Most recently, they beat Macclesfield Town 2-1 on Saturday. Uh, They came from behind um, and won it, an 82nd minute winner from Ryan Loft, who's on loan from Leicester City. Uh, it's got Jamie Vardy in front of him, so that's uh, no embarrassment. Uh, that was their first win in six league games. Their last win in the league before that was a 1-0 win versus Oldham. Um, 
they did beat Blackpool in the FA in the EFL Trophy midway through October. Uh, but aside from that, they've won three and eleven, and of them, they've drawn two and lost six. So really, it's a it's a quite a nice break from the league for both sides. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's um, shocking form you've just described. But you know, as you say, glass houses. Uh, we're not doing too great ourselves. But um, what what else? What else can you tell me? I, I, so we know their manager Stephen Presley, former Scottish international. Um, how do you land? How do you land that gig? And how's he getting on? Well, Stephen Presley, for those of you who don't know, was uh, quite an iconic footballer up in Scotland for a number of years. Uh, made absolutely loads of appearances for Scotland. Played for both Rangers and Celtic. I think he might, might play for Hibs as well. Um, he's kind of been falling down the football pyramid in England in his managerial career. He recently had a stint at Coventry as well, which I don't think went too well. He started very poorly uh, with Carlisle. Um I mean, his record at Carlisle, under his management, they've played 39 games. Uh, they've won 13, they've drawn eight, and they've lost 18. So he's got a win ratio of 33%. Which really, 33%, you would think isn't particularly bad. It's you know, it's not awful. I think I remember a stat from a few seasons ago that Sam Allardyce was like 19% at Newcastle. And that's over a longer period of games. And he kept his job for a period. But there seems to be a particular... I'm not really sure how to put it because I, ha- I don't know, if, you know, I don't know where it's really coming from. But I get the feeling like he's just not really adhering himself to Carlisle fans. Uh, there's quite a lot on, that I've read online about him behaving not particularly well in press conferences, speaking to certain members of the press and not others, coming up with quite emotional responses to relatively straightforward questions. By straightforward, I mean you know they're probably. Qu- They've got quite a bit of needle, but as an experienced player and manager, you should be able to deal with them. So it seems like he's under quite a lot of stress and he's not dealing with it particularly well, which is totally understandable. Everyone's human, but you know that doesn't stop the fact that the Carlisle fans are not happy. Um, a lot of them are of the opinion that they will. there is a likelihood that they will lose this game. Um, you know, there's a reason the BBC picked this game. Um, they only pick games where there's a possible upset because people are going to tune in. Um I found some pretty like distasteful stuff on his Wikipedia page earlier. Someone's edited it. So his name his name at one point on the page just reads can't manage a club <laughs> instead of Stephen Presley. And at another point his name reads is very bent. Mm. So um which is disgusting. So there's just uh there's a bad feeling around him at the moment. Um and you know, if they lose on Friday, or even if you know they don't win, if we draw yeah, he's not gonna keep that yeah. job for long. Yeah, it sounds as well as like there's a bit of a situation from um, the people upstairs as well at that club, the board, like reluctant to kind of invest, or reluctant to really make much of a decision about Presley. Like, you know, pr- probably could have acted sooner if he hasn't been on a great run of form. Anyway, I think um, you know, have Carlisle always been a football league club? I'm not 100 percent sure on that, but. For decades, yeah, yeah, they're a, bit, they're a bit of an institution of, yeah, of the, lo- sure. the lower football leagues. So, yeah, like it would be a bit of a travesty if they were to get relegated. Um, so, yeah, there's obviously a bit of um, tension surrounding um, him at the moment. Um, do you want to move on to the squad? Yeah, I picked up a few interesting player stories. 
Aside from these player stories, it's the usual League Two tale of some players who've been released from Premier League clubs, um, either at academy level or after you know, a couple of years out on loan who are trying to make their name. Um, or it's old veterans of League One and League Two who know the league well. Um, pretty standard fodder, not particularly interesting. Uh, so I picked out a few which I think are quite interesting that I know you'll find interesting and, and hopefully I would think our listeners. Um, just a quick one to begin with. Their number 14, uh, Elias Sorensen. Uh, it's a centre-forward uh, on loan from Newcastle, Danish ah. under-21 international. Um, he's got two in two for the under-21s. Um, he's yet to score a professional goal at senior level, however. Uh, he might make an appearance. Um, Peckham-born, Kelvin Atuhu. Yep. He's on the books. Dixon Atuhu's brother. Correct. Uh, last season, he played 39 league games. Um, unfortunately, towards the end of the campaign, he tore his hamstring and he's still in rehab. It was a particularly bad one, I believe. Ah, so he won't be getting a reunion in Peckham. Afraid not. Um, I think he'll come down for the trip and maybe go bussy later. Well, I don't know if he'll be able to make it up the stairs. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> there is no lift there either, so very bad disabled access. Uh, he, of course, played 10 games in the Premier League uh, for Manchester City and almost 100 games in the Championship for Leicester, Cardiff, Pompey and Barnsley. Um, another striker on their books uh, is an Arsenal youth graduate. Oh, yeah? Yeah, Olafela Olomola. Uh, please excuse the pronunciation. Um, he left Arsenal and was captain of the Southampton under-18s. He's now at Scunthorpe on loan at Carlisle and he's got 5-10 in, in the league and is their top scorer. It's not a bad form. Played on Saturday against Macclesfield, so he'll probably feature. And then this. This next one is the holy grail of For the Hamlet player winding career journeys. Uh, and I am particularly proud that I managed to find this. So currently uh, registered with Carlisle's squad is uh, a midfielder slash playmaker. Um, so, I mean, that's good already, yeah. Tick. Mohamed Sagaf is a Somalian born midfielder slash playmaker who began his career, even this first, I, I just began his career at Chingford based Ryan FC. Oh, they played here the other day. Did they? Yeah, we, we hosted something with the London FA, like an under 14s tournament, and they played on Javion Hill's pitch. <laughs> and I can tell you who else is. X Ryan FC Dwight Gale is he really yeah I believe so I really like that as you delivered that we had a, a firework go off in the background as it is <laughs> it is the 5th of November tonight um, I just I just really enjoyed that because it's essentially just someone's first name yeah it's <laughs> uh, brilliant isn't it yeah um, yeah from there this is where it gets Almost unbelievable. He then moved to Spain, or I should probably say Asturias, which is the autonomous community in northern Spain. Um, he joined the youth team at Real Aviles, which is the fourth level in Spain. Um, he spent some time there, and then after less than a year, he returned to England. This is in 2015. Uh, and made his senior debut at 17 for North Greenford United. Uh, who at the time were in the Southern Football League, step four of non-league. That's like w w way out West London, isn't it? Yeah, it's, they're in Greenford in Ealing. Um, he actually played in four FA Cup qualifying games. Those were his first appearances as a pro player at 17. Um, then after a couple of months there, he went to Italy 
and joined Serie B side Ternana and played for their under-19 side in the prestigious, and it is prestigious, Campionato Primavera, which is an infamous youth uh, football competition involving Serie A and Serie B teams in Italy. So it's, it's a fucking good standard. Uh, and at this point, he's 18. Um, that clearly didn't work out for some reason, or maybe he just made the decision to return to England. So he did, and in 2016-17, he played for Leatherhead in the Eastman Premier League, <laughs> at which point, he I couldn't find any record of this, but he likely would have been in the squad for games against Dulwich Hamlet. Uh, he actually performed very well for Leatherhead in that season, by all accounts, what I can tell. Was However, that when they were managed by Jimmy Bullard? Or? It could have been. Okay. Yeah, it could have been. Good point. Um, but then another twist of fate. He dropped down to the Essex Senior League and played for Waltham Forest in 2017-18. Uh, at which point, this was clearly a level... He knows the suburbs of London well, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it turns out this latest stop on the M25 was a bit below his level. Uh, he scored 10 in 23 and was made captain. Yep. So he's now... What, 18? 19? Uh, after a couple of months of these performances, he was signed by Ipswich Town in January 2018 and uh, was added to their under-23 squad. Um, eight months passed and the next move was on the card. <laughs> uh, he joined Braintree Town, National League, Braintree Town, uh, in September 2018. Uh, and by April 2019, he'd been named Player of the Month after scoring three goals in five games in April 2019. <laughs> and the following month, went on trial at um, would-be Bosnian Premier League champions, <laughs> FK Sarajevo. <laughs> so he spent a week on trial at FK Sarajevo. He's not afraid to go and try his luck in the continent, no. is he? Who then they they won the Bosnian Premier League. Unfortunately, he returned. Uh, they didn't sign him. Uh, instead, he signed a one-year deal with Carlisle United, uh, and he actually scored on his League Two debut uh, as a sub versus Swindon Town on the tenth of August. Uh, so Mohamed Sagaf, quite the story. That's a brilliant story. Yeah, I love the level of research you went into. It, well, I just uh, I just got deeper and deeper and just couldn't believe what was happening. So I just thought I'd I'd really go for it. Uh, so I'm hoping he'll be involved on Friday. There's a chance he won't be because he's only made one appearance, that being his debut against Swindon. Right. Uh, so he might not be. But um, well, Presley needs something to save his season. So why not hand him? Could it be Mo? Start. Mo yeah. Sagaf. Mo Sagaf. He's clearly got the talent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he scored that debut goal against uh, Swindon Town, and that I think that really leads me very nicely into uh, a little anecdote I've got uh, for the next Carlisle United striker. Uh, Who's that then? Well, Hugo, do you remember Vincent Pericard? Once of Juventus, correct, and Portsmouth, absolutely. Yeah, tell me more. Well. Uh, in 2009-2010, he scored four goals in ten games for Carlisle. Decent. Yeah. Became, from what I can tell and what I remember at the time, to be a bit of a cult hero. I think he might have been a bit overweight, but clearly, you know, more than able of scoring goals at that level. And um, he then left Carlisle, unfortunately. He joined Swindon Town. 
following season in 2010 slash 2011. Um, again, made a good impression, scored goals. Um, he then left at the end of 2010-2011. So that was what, let's say, May 2011. Now, in September 2011, I returned home to live with my parents after university for a period uh, to save up some money. And uh, I went to football training with my village team one, one evening, one balmy summer's evening uh, in early September. And, uh, you know, it's that kind of time where you can still leave the house and just walk out in shorts and t-shirts. Oh, lovely, yeah. Pre-season training's just drills, everyone's sweating buckets. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I turned up just to keep fit. And because uh, I played for the youth team when I've been there years and years ago, I hadn't, I hadn't lived in Fairford, Gloucestershire. Um, I hadn't lived there since 2006. I've been away for five years. Uh, still went back home, felt like home. Turned up at training uh, just for a bit of fitness just to keep me uh, keep me ticking over and uh there's this guy there who's at least six foot three probably about well, i don't want to say overweight he wasn't overweight a chunky guy uh you know not not slight great dreadlocks and he's there in this swindon town gear and you know to begin with i didn't really think anything of it because everyone at that village club has had a trial with swindon town yeah, <laughs> you know how the stories go and uh, I didn't think anything of it. And then after a few drills, I noticed he had a couple of initials on his uh, on the front of his his training top. And uh, I noticed it it read VP. <laughs> I just thought this. I mean, there's there's something happening here. He's not vice president of Swindon Town. <laughs> and then and then we started doing a few drills with the ball. And uh, we did a few attack versus defense drills. And then everything started making sense. Uh, it quickly transpired after three one-on-ones against the keeper and I think a chipped finish, a couple of step-overs and a slit, like a slide finish afterwards uh, and a half volley in off the post <laughs> that uh, the man with VP on his tracksuit might just be Vincent Perricone. <laughs> and uh, after another couple of drills, I kind of plucked up the courage to ask him. No one else had, meant, had noticed. And uh, there we were, doing pre-season training <laughs> uh, in a small field in a tiny village in the middle of Gloucestershire, 15 no- miles north of Swindon, uh, with ex-Juventus and Portsmouth striker Vincent Perricard. Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> It turns out that he still lived in the area after his release from Swindon and uh, I think had a friend who lived in Fairford uh, or it was some sort of connection like that and uh, he was doing the same as me, uh, just keeping himself ticking over. So a meeting of of two men with similar interests. Yeah, very much so. So that's my little, that's my Hugo (laughs) Greenhouse style anecdote. (laughs) I I get one or two a season. And, uh, no, I mean that's, that that blows <laughs> m- m- all of mine out of the water. I think, um, brilliant. He was he was very nice, lovely I'm guy. Glad, glad to hear it. Yeah, and then a few years later, uh, he added me on LinkedIn. Oh, that's brilliant. Because he was doing a business degree at Portsmouth Uni. Good. <laughs> Somehow he found me on LinkedIn. <laughs> oh, well, so, why was that nice guy that I did a bit of football training with one summer? <laughs> Well, in a roundabout way, that's another nice tie between the two clubs, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Um, um, yeah. I think as far as we can deduce, the only player to... Well, 
the two players to have played for both clubs are Jeffrey Monacana, um, correct, currently of the Dulwich squad. Uh, he had a brief loan spell there, uh, I think away from Preston in about 2015. He played one game there, um, and that's it. I managed to find one photo of him playing there, where he's just sort of in the background. He even played 90 minutes, but there is proof that this happened, which is nice. Um, I don't know how he remembers the, the experience, but um, yeah, it was brief, to say the least. And of course, the most famous of them all, Jimmy Glass. Um, Jimmy Glass, probably in a way the most famous Carlisle player, which is bizarre because I think he only played three times for them. But um, he actually was at Swindon at the time. Swindon getting a lot of airtime in this podcast. Um, and I think he went on loan. I didn't realise he was at Swindon. Yeah, it was a loan. I think I, I saw an interview about it recently. He he basically was like, he, he ended up at Swindon, wasn't really getting game time there. He got a call saying, you know, Carlisle need a keeper, an extra keeper. Do you fancy it? And he thought, yeah, why not? I'm not playing here. Might as well go somewhere else where I might actually get on the pitch. And they were in a relegation battle at the time, famously. And with more or less the last kick of the game, Jimmy Glass comes up for a corner and he, he sort of scuffs it in, doesn't he? We watched it recently, didn't we? Yeah. It's not a great finish, is it? No. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, pitch invasions at the end, Carlisle stay up, he becomes this cult figure, like, that transcends Carlisle. The boots he scored with is in the National Football Museum. You can go and have a look at it if you want. Um and yeah the reason why it's relevant is because when he was at Crystal Palace he had a little spell on loan here at Dulwich Hamlet um, in much more modest times we understand I don't think he looks back at, at that period of his life and career particularly fondly apparently he slags us off a bit in his, his autobiography according to Mishy who's read it but uh, yeah Jimmy Glass and Jeffrey Monacano as far as we know the only two players who played for both clubs and one of them may even be on the pitch on Friday in the form of Jeff Monacano. Yeah. And uh, thank you to um, non-league legend Dave Wilcox, who within minutes of this game being announced, named the game El Glasico. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Which I then realised um, he's probably, he's a West Country lad. Yeah. And he's probably quite au fait with the... El Glossico, which is Forest Green versus Cheltenham, which occurred at the weekend. Did, then I realised and thought it's probably part of his lexicon already, so he's just swapped a vowel. Doesn't make it any less glorious. Yeah. So thanks, Dave Wilcox. Uh, El and Glossico. In, if if you're in Carlisle, you're probably calling it El Glossico, <laughs> in a way. So it kind of aligns even more with El Glossico, uh, which obviously every derby has to kind of be named after. Now. Um, but yeah, any more, any more from your Carlisle? No, that's it. I, well, that was, I mean, that was plenty to be getting on with. Um, I can't wait to see um, these guys in action. Yeah, honest, well, uh, yeah, well, watch it on Friday when Stephen Presley names his squad and none of them are in it. Um, <laughs> I'll be looking out for Mo Sagaf, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I so hope he, he, he makes the squad, because what a story that is. Yeah. Um, I think that's it for this part. Uh, up next, we're going to speak to some Dulwich Hamlet fans about uh, how they think we're going to fare on Friday. As much as I was sort of hoping for a, a big club like the Sunderland or Portsmouth, a team like Carlisle, I think we actually do have a chance. They're not doing very well in the league, but I mean, 
they're definitely beatable. It's definitely a winnable game, so potentially in the half of round two. We do have a good chance, I think. Um, just scrolling through Twitter, um, reading what their uh, fans have to say, I think they're all quite nervous about it, to be honest. Struggling in League Two, I think it's a perfect opportunity for us, and obviously BBC picking up on exactly that, and I think everyone's really excited. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, we might be, I don't think the league campaign's gone according to plan so far, uh, but I think Carlisle are. Uh, are probably weaker than they should be. I think their manager's quite got quite a bad track record. Um, I think it's I think it's a reasonable time for us. Yeah. One of the reasons we got on TV is because there might be an upset. If you look at those, you know, they're not doing their best at, in League Two at the moment. We're a relatively strong side. Um, why not? You know, uh, if having more Louisville can get to Liverpool, then we can beat Carlisle at home, surely. So uh, everyone's thinking the same that we are. Yeah, there's a lot of optimism in that, wasn't there? Um, you know, there's a sort of why not kind of vibe about it. Um, Tom referencing uh, Haven't's run there as well. You'd love to see it. Um, yeah, I think uh, that there's there's an optimism, and I hope that's been circulating around the dressing room as well. You know, that all all of these players know what what big game this is. Like, you know, they they might have played a football league for football league clubs in the past they may have even had their own little dallies and cup runs but i think this is probably the first time that most of them would have been on television and it's a fantastic chance for them to show what they're about as players they know that um you know it it, it could be a very special night for them you know anyone who gets on the score sheet is going to be remembered very very well um so yeah i think there's 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 got to be a real sense that this is the biggest night of their playing career, really, for many of them. Yeah, I think if we got this draw even two years ago, uh, maybe even last season, I would have been less um, of the mind that we had a, an actual chance. But with the players we've got now, these guys are no mugs. You know, the, the difference in quality between them and the players you're playing for Carlisle is not much. Yeah. It's probably a bit of a gap in fitness. And there's clearly a gap in experience um, in terms of playing week in, week out against you know really high quality opposition. Yeah. But I think in terms of technical skill and knowledge of the game, I honestly think we've got a really, really good chance. Definitely, yeah. And it, you know, it's not not long ago that you know Charlie Granger was at Leighton Orient, Jack Connors was at Dagenham Redbridge. Uh, Kieran Monlui was at um, Hamilton. Uh, ben Chapman was at Gillingham. All, you know, these are guys who've been at professional clubs in the very recent past. You know, they're they're keeping up that level now at this club with the full time schedule. And you know, what why can't why can't we match their fitness? Why can't we match their skill on the pitch? I I think it's it should be a really really good test of where this side is actually at because. We're really not that many places below them in the football pyramid, if you think about it. Um, no, absolutely. There, there's been much bigger shocks down the years. There have been. Much yeah. bigger shocks. Yeah. Um, this wouldn't even be a particularly big surprise, I don't think. So, um, And, you know, there are players in the side now that have got experience in the, in the FA Cup and have been on runs in the FA Cup. None more so than Danny Mills, who had that amazing run with Whitehawk a few years ago scored the goals that took them into the first round uh, and really made name for himself and uh, I think it's only right really that we get a bit of a player angle on the game and uh, that of course is from podcast legend 
Danny Mills. Uh, so here's Danny on the on Friday's game. I don't think it really gets much better than playing a league side at home. I mean, if you're going to play away from home, then you want to get one of the big boys. You want to play Sunderland, Portsmouth, Ipswich, or one of those teams. But the next best thing really is is getting a a league a league side at home, and you know it's going to be a great occasion for the football club. You know, it's um it's a it's a very historical game. And, you know, I think for myself and the boys, it's just, you know, it's unbelievable to, to be a part of and, and, and being part of history at the football club. Um, when we did find out that it was on, on BBC, you know, of course, everyone's, you know, ecstatic and everyone just is, is buzzing to really be, be involved. It's going to be a great occasion, you know, a Friday nights, Friday night, sorry, under the lights, Champion Hill, you know, I'm, I'm sure that will be a sellout crowd. Uh, it's going to be a great atmosphere. And, you know, it, it's a game that we really honestly, truly believe that we can win. You know, when, when that draw came out, I know from a personal point of view, the first thing I thought in my head was we can beat them. We can we can beat them, um, and I think they're going to be very surprised at what they, what they're going to face when they come down to us. You know, they're going to come down to a full house of three three to three and a half thousand people, um, and a very good team. So you know, absolutely buzzing, and you know, can't wait to do, can't wait to play in it. Millsy there, absolutely buzzing. So are we. Uh, it's the seventy two hour countdown now, isn't it? Yeah, and it is sold out. Yeah. He's right. He got that one right. Totally sold out. Hopefully he gets the result right as well. Yeah. Turnstiles open from five. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Game kicks off at five to eight. And uh, what's the plan if we win? Promotion roundabout. Yeah. FA Cup roundabout. Sounds good. Um, Get ready EDT. Yeah. Hope you've enjoyed our little preview, listeners. Uh, yeah, let, let us know what you think, as always. And uh, send us your thoughts about how you're, how you're feeling about the game. Yeah, thanks for indulging our stories about Carlisle players. Uh, something we we always search for, sometimes we don't find. Something we both enjoy, and uh, it came up trumps this time. Absolutely, yeah. No, you did uh, you did wonders there, mate. <laughs> right, well that's it. Uh, it's another Champions League night, isn't it? I won't ask you for score predictions because I have no idea who's playing who. <laughs> but, uh, what I do know is Dulwich Hamlet playing Carlisle on Friday, and we're going to win. Hey, okay. Uh, thanks, Hugo. Good night, guys. Cheers. Cheers, listeners. Goodbye. When we first got back to Champion Hill after exile, uh, we were cleaning up this place because it obviously re- it was really overgrown. And the, I mean, the grass was like that high. Along the back here, it was loads of weeds. And I, I think it was just up here um, from someone who had eaten a burger or a sandwich or something the season previous and a bit of the tomato, sliced tomato, throwing it down. And we came out, there was a small tomato plant just growing. <laughs> Five tomatoes on it. We did have the idea of making some very bespoke, nice small batch chutney, but well, I was too done at Chamlet. <laughs> too hipster. You get an amazing amount of wildlife here. Foxes mainly. I dig this pitch up. I chased a fox off the pitch because he'd had a, he had a little like, um, like a Werther's original in his mouth. He's trying to bury it. <laughs> I ran, ran over, chased him off, and I threw the word at him. An absolute humdinger from about 25 yards. Get it. 
swaggering dandy An absolute pump digger Swaggering dandy